Welcome to Beyond Therapy. In this first episode, we're joined by Viv Gordon. Viv is a survivor artist and activist, and we talk about the importance of community, allyship, and the power of the arts to raise visibility of childhood sexual abuse. She's an incredible theatre maker and champion of survivor-led artwork. You can check out the episode description for relevant links about Viv and the resources that we cover. I'm talking today to the incredible Viv Gordon, and I will let Viv introduce herself and the work that she does. Yeah, so I'm, um, I'm a theatre maker and an arts activist, survivor arts activist. So I make work about my personal journey with, as a survivor of child sex abuse. And I'm the artistic director of Viv Gordon Company, which is a really unimaginative name. I've noticed lots of men name their companies after themselves. And uh, when I thought about naming my company after myself, I had a real struggle with it. And I'm still thinking about changing it. No, don't! <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it was the most important, it was the most easy thing at the time to call it that because we didn't have a better name. And the aim of the company is to use um, the arts to increase voice and visibility and community for child sex abuse survivors mm-hmm. and also to champion survivor-led arts work Mm. so to invest in artist development for child sex abuse survivors and um, create projects that can can bring us together because there's a few different artists um, making work about their lived experience but there's a real solo working model Mm -hmm. so everyone Mm -hmm. does stuff on their own or is leading their own teams around their own stories Mm -hmm. and um, one of the things that I'm really into is bringing bringing us together to have more of a collective voice. That's yeah. amazing, amazing summary. <laughs> and I, th- I think that's what I, I guess I kind of wanted to talk to you about because I felt like we had a lot in common in the approach that we have because I also have lived experience and I would say I'm a survivor researcher and I often find that, um, yeah, I'm, I'm in a team of researchers who are allies and who no doubt have um, lived experience themselves but in a research environment, we're getting much better at, I guess, what we would call co-production. Um, but I'm not sure that we're quite there yet in terms of being survivor-led. Mm. And sometimes it's quite hard to feel like you're kind of in your community. It's like it's very fragmented. I think we have sort of leaders in different fields. And there are so many of us out there in different areas of expertise. But so rarely is there a space for us to kind of come together and just talk to one another and support one another Mm. and I felt very inspired by your work and so then we met and we just had such a good chat I thought maybe we could like carry on the conversation and like try and share some of those ideas and thoughts for other survivors and also other researchers and other creative arts people who were thinking of doing this and just maybe don't know how to get their foot on that ladder or feel a bit worried about, you know, I guess kind of branching out or like trying to find our community. Like you did a TED talk a couple of years ago. I did, yeah, just before COVID. And it was amazing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And it just like it just I've got a funny thing with my TED talk where 
the top I'm wearing, the zip malfunctioned. So when we, when we started, the t- if you watch the TED Talk, you can see at the beginning the zip is sort of up near my neck. And then by the end of the TED Talk, the zip is down here. It's just sort of slowly open. Luckily, I'm wearing like a sports bra underneath because otherwise it would be, it just looks like I'm wearing a vest top or something. Okay, but otherwise, it would be, if it was just a normal bra, it would have been absolutely awful. <laughs> It's really inappropriate to talk about child sex abuse to be flashing your bra. I really resonated with what you were saying, though, Gemma, about the about community, and it feels like there are definite pockets of survivor community, but in terms of sort of the wider sense of community, it just isn't. We're just not there yet, and that's why a lot of the work that we're doing is focused in 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 building that because it just strikes me it's has such a like oversight mm. <laughs> in the mm. in the sort of push for social justice and the, all the identity politics stuff that we're in which I totally get that you know nothing's perfect for other marginalized oppressed communities but you know in at least there is a sense of community for yeah. a lot of a lot of those groups and for survivors yeah. there just isn't a sense of community and most people are really surprised to know that there's an estimated 11 million mm-hmm. adult survivors of child yeah. sex abuse in the UK because most survivors that I meet in my work have never met another survivor. Yeah. yeah. You know, people who come to the writing workshops that we do and come to the shows that we put on, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people have never told anybody, they've yeah. never met another survivor, mm-hmm. they've only ever spoken about it in therapeutic settings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, often in very short-term therapeutic offers. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, wow, what? how have we found ourselves here? Yeah. And, it, you know, it does... My theory on it, and I'm, it's just a theory, is that, you know, it's still such a taboo subject mm-hmm. and, and there's so much shame, isn't there, yeah. around being a survivor of child sex abuse and, and that keeps us very separate that's how abuse works mm-hmm. divide and rule you yeah, know absolutely. and that's you know that's worked for centuries and actually in the the lack of community kind of not that it's our responsibility in any way but it that divide and rule principle mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is just carried through isn't it in the lack of community and that's what allows abuse to keep going yeah because there's no collective voice no exactly. and so we see like how shit the court systems are and how rare prosecutions are Mm-hmm. And actually, we don't have a big enough collective voice to demand the change that mm-hmm. that needs to happen. You know that we're starting to see, only just starting to see in adult rape yeah. cases where there's a lot of people fighting for more, you know, rape justice. Mm-hmm. And of course, there are people fighting for that in around child sex abuse, but on nowhere near the same scale no. and with nowhere near the same visibility. And mm-hmm. and so it just carries on. Yeah. It's basically decriminalised, isn't it? It is, completely. Yeah. yeah, completely. You're right, like, the the thing of the stigma and the shame and the guilt, it's so hard to kind of come forward, and that's and that's what keeps it going, isn't it? You know, actually, like, a lot of the survivors that I've worked with in the past, like, they might be coming forward at, like, 60 for the first mm. time, you know? And yeah. it's so fragmented. I think, for me, one of the things that, like, really can prevent people coming forward as well particularly with childhood sexual abuse like and certainly in my own case is like just like the fragmented memory so you've got like the guilt you've got the shame and 
you've got the feeling that maybe it was your fault. And then there's the social narrative and the stigma, which says, oh, actually, don't talk about that. That's really taboo. But then the mental health impacts of it as well mean that your memories are quite distorted and fragmented, which means that you feel that you can't really trust yourself. You can't trust your own mind. You can't trust your own body. And then eventually, over time, it all just kind of comes out in different ways. Mm. And then you have to kind of start working on it. And that's really, really hard. And I think one of the things that we would we've been talking about is just that that very often we do that work in a one-to-one environment in a therapy space Mm. and those therapy services provide life-saving really Mm. resources and and the connection that you get in the therapy room with a therapist that works for you is amazing um but but what happens after that you know because there's I know I've said it before but there's a whole life to lead after abuse happens and There are so many of us out there, but there's no community for us to come forward. And in some ways, it's not even really about talking about what happened. Like, I feel like I'm kind of done with that in the therapy Mm. space, you know. It's it's about, like, channeling, for me, that anger and the passion for change and, like, wanting to help other people in a similar situation and know that they're not alone into something that really will be that driver of change, you know? And I know that you channel that into your artwork and I try really hard to channel that into my research, which doesn't always work out because (laughs) I think some of that passion gets lost in an academic paper sometimes. But, um, but yeah, it, it's hard to get people to kind of come forward in the first place. You're right. The sort of stigma around that. And of course our children's services are just so underfunded compared to adult services. Um, it's, and they're so hard to find. So really hard, hard to, to find. find. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Just, there's a lot in what you've just said. And so I'm doing some work, at the, but I won't say where because to protect their anonymity, but with a group of, of young women who are engaging with the service because they've all reported to the police. Mm. And um, they're either going to court or they've been through court mm. and none of them get justice Mm. none at all most of them get sent home to live in abusive households yeah and um lots of them are then seen as because the they haven't been vindicated by the courts Mm -hmm. uh they're seen as liars by Mm. their families and friends Mm -hmm. and so it really destroys (laughs) their confidence and their sense of you know that the that the world is a just or sane place you know yeah. it's like how can you experience the world as a sane place when yeah. when you when that's what happened you know when you are abused and then completely re- re-traumatized by mm. the systems that are there to supposedly protect, protect you, you and give yeah. you justice um the encouraging thing is that you know very in a very different way to when i was that age you know they're surrounded by uh, workers, support workers who are survivors, who are um, functioning, kick-ass, gorgeous women <laughs> who are having a laugh, who have a life, who have, you know, so they've got new role models. Um, and I think there's more and more of that around yeah. um, for young people who are who are going through those awful experiences mm. where they are starting to see that there are that there is life after abuse it is possible to rebuild your life you know and i i never had that as a young person mm. i didn't 
even hear the words childhood sexual abuse until I was 22. And, um, you know, I didn't remember being abused because I had dissociative amnesia until I was 29. Mm. And so, you know, that, and at that time, there was absolutely no cultural conversation about it. So the cultural conversation, as far as I can see, has picked up since Jimmy Savile, yeah. since Operation Yew Tree, since the endless stream of, yeah. of politicians and celebrities and sports coaches and clergy and all of that who are... Um, you know, now some of them being held accountable for yeah. the abuse that they perpetrated. Uh, you know, and then still that's just the tip of the iceberg because we know that the majority of abuse happens in families, yep. in homes, behind closed doors. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, the cultural conversation has started, but it's mm. really still on the starting blocks, yep. I think. You know, and then you get... Um, quite a lot of celebrities and things like that coming out and sharing mm. that they're survivors but then often they don't want to take the conversation any further they'll yeah. disclose and then they yeah. they don't know how to you know so I I know from conversations I've had you know that people get you know you, you disclose and then you get inundated with letters from survivors who want your help but yeah. no bloody idea how to deal with yeah. that and then and so you just shut off again mm-hmm. and so it you know it's it just feels like we need to, we, we just need to normalise the conversation in society. Yeah. Um, it amazes me that even, you know, I meet people who work in services who mm. still say the words childhood sexual abuse yeah. in a hushed voice. Yeah. <laughs> sexual abuse. It's like, yeah. it's not a secret. Yeah. It's happening bloody everywhere. Yeah. Everyone knows a survivor. Yeah. And... You know, it's one in six adults. Yep. It's happening everywhere. It's happening in every class at mm. school. Yeah. It's ha- it's happening everywhere. There are survivors yep. everywhere, and so it's like, how do we, how do we break that silence and 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 stop it being this ri- ridiculous secret? We haven't. Yeah. I know. We haven't done anything wrong. I know. We didn't do anything. It's not our fault. We didn't do anything. They're not our secrets to keep. No. We don't have to keep it private yeah we don't have to protect anybody that's not our job we Mm. were supposed to be protected as children and so it's it's all of that isn't it it's Mm. breaking that down Mm. Mm. and it's yeah it's it's slow it's slow it's it's difficult but for me in my work every every new conversation I have with somebody is a victory yeah you know, it's like it literally is one conversation at a time where people come to a workshop and then I had some lovely feedback from a, a woman who I, I know won't mind me quoting her. I won't say her name, but she said she came to some writing workshops and she said, you're helping me unshame. Mm. And I just thought yeah. that's that sums it up. Yeah. For me, that's what it's all about. It is what it's all about. Yeah. I think in your TED Talk, one of the most powerful things that you said was that I'm just done carrying around other people's shame for this. And, yeah. I, and I listened to that and I just thought, oh my God, that's exactly how I feel. Like, I'm done carrying the shame of other people's acts. And it's like, we need to, you're right, we need to normalise that conversation because... I, I do I do feel really hopeful that it's a kind of double-edged sword for me so at the moment there's a, like as you said there's like this endless parade of sexual assault cases in in the media the Sarah Everard stuff was really really hard um, and there have been so many other 
young women who have been murdered or, or raped in the news recently. And it, and mm. it like, actually, in a way, it's like, great, it's in the media. Like, we're starting this conversation. But, but for us, it's also, I feel quite exhausted by it. Like, it, in some ways, it can be quite triggering because then it kind of starts the whole thing again where you feel like the community itself is quite fragmented. So it's like that thing, like you say, of like, right, well, we, we start the conversation, but then there isn't really any kind of effective change that happens after that. So it's like normalising that conversation and bringing together this community of people is so important. I think those connections really are what makes the difference. The connections between people and services as one voice that is like, hey, this isn't okay. We need to hold people to account mm. and we need to come together and not feel alone because I think whenever whenever I meet another survivor who is in a place and they're like, yep, I'm a survivor too, I feel quite like, oh, this is great. Like, yeah. I know that you get me. I know that you get where I'm coming from and I feel really inspired by the work that you do and I know that, like, you know, there's just that instant kind of connection there where you just feel like, God, I just don't have to repeat it all again. Mm. Because often when we go into services, we have to tell our stories over and over again to get the help that maybe we need. And that's quite exhausting in its mm. own way. So I think there's a, for me, there's such a power in kind of the peer support and the mentoring of one another and knowing that 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 is out there and then I guess the other thing for me around the criminal justice stuff I mean some people go into the criminal justice system don't they and they get what they want out of it and they and they feel great but I think in the majority of cases they just don't and the criminal no. justice system is not fit for purpose and well no the whole thing is patriarchal system isn't it and it's the you know the adverse I don't have a an alternative mm. I'll hold my hands up and say I don't have an alternative yeah. but the adversarial system yeah. the idea of being innocent until proven guilty yeah you know it's impossible how can I prove I can't prove yeah. anything no I can't I was it, I was pre-verbal when I was first abused so I yeah. cannot I can't remember anything I didn't have any words mm. to yeah to to, to tell anyone yeah or you know so so it's an absolutely hopeless system and, you know, particularly in cases... I mean, even in cases where I've, I've got friends who have t gone to court with, you know, letters from their abusers confessing and apologising yeah. and they've still got off. Yeah. Because they've gone, oh, well, we don't know whether they were um, coerced into writing that letter. And just go, for fuck's sake, what yeah. do you want? I know. What do you want? And yet women are being sent to prison still yeah. for not paying their TV licence. And you just think, what the fuck? I know. How, do, how, how have we found ourselves here? We've found yeah. ourselves here because men are still running everything. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, that's, you know, the patriarchy serves itself 100%. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot, you know, you can't help wondering yeah. who is being protected by maintaining the current system yeah. do you know what I mean it's there's definitely um you know the system protecting its own yeah exactly and there were, I mean there was there was a big study um a couple of years ago and it was called the justice project and it it was really a huge study where they looked at um did loads of interviews with maybe like 300 survivors I think maybe a, a bit less and asked them what justice meant for them you know and what they came out with, number one, wasn't the wasn't the criminal justice process. It was part of it for some people, of course, a really important step for some people. 
Um, but what they wanted was accountability. Mm. Accountability and this idea that came out, which was which was essentially peer support. So it's like, imagine a courtroom filled with other survivors where those survivors listened and they believed and they supported mm. and they validated what happened. And that a lot of survivors put that idea forward. You know? Amazing. It is amazing, but also there's something quite interesting about that, isn't there? Because the the idea of justice is so unattainable that it's like looking around for alternatives yeah. as well. Yeah. Because actually, of course, fundamentally what we really want yeah. is just a justice system that works. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know. And then it's like yeah. we can go, oh well in the you know, in the lack of that, yeah. this would be good. Yeah. But actually, it's interesting, you know, we wrote about justice with the young women that I was talking Did about. You? Yeah, so their words, why is, it, why is it called a system? It's not a system, it doesn't work. Yeah. You know, every single woman in this room has been let down. Yeah. Those are their words about the justice system. And so it's like, yeah. I mean, it's great to be looking for alternatives as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not to diss that at all. No, no. But it's just, no, yeah, it's... No. I know. it's Ideally, yeah. it would work. It would work. And it wouldn't re-traumatise as well, like, yeah. as we go through. And I think um, one of the projects we're working on at the moment is a, is about children and young people's experiences of abuse. And it's really intimately tied to the criminal justice process mm. and their experience of trying to access mental health support while they go through the criminal justice process. I mean, most people will wait, like, three years. And I think when the cases are visible to the criminal justice process and when it's children in particular, like all of the safeguarding mechanisms and the red flags just come up and then all of the agencies that are like quite well-intentioned that like just start coming at the family and like just endless requests to make sure the child is safe. And like, you know, just it. one woman that I spoke to who was a parent this week said, it feels like a full-time job, you know, mm. like trying to kind of like guard my child from all of these agencies. We're already trying to sort of drag her through the criminal justice process because we feel like if we don't go through this process, he's still out there. In the three years that we've been waiting for her court date to come through, he's still out there. He's allowed yeah. to walk around. Like how many other children and young people has he done this to, you know? Yeah. And yet it's on me to get my daughter to a place where she feels able and strong enough to give evidence in a court that's made for adults, yeah. really, and, and, and going through a defence team that's just so aggressive and is not respectful in any way to the symptoms of trauma or the experiences of a child and really buys into the narrative we have around sexual assault being the fault of the per of the victim rather yeah. than the perpetrator, you know? And like all of those rapeness. The, no, it's never you know? the fault of the victim. It's never the fault no. of a child. No. So I think, I, th I feel like with the criminal justice process, I feel like for some people, sometimes like reporting and reporting anonymously and like just feeling like you've done that thing, that's enough for some people. Mm. But overwhelmingly what we're hearing about people who are going through the process is that it's just so long, it's taking so long and, and it's really re-traumatising to it just really have to keep people. going through it, you know? Yeah, to the point where actually a lot of therapists mm. would recommend to their clients to not report. Yeah, exactly. For that reason. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know? And a lot of police would, would echo that as well. Yeah. 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 It's interesting, isn't it, because there's that narrative like it's... Um, sort of our responsibility as victims to protect the public yep. from these people. But actually, 
it's their responsibility not to abuse children yeah. always you know it's the same we're starting to hear new narratives aren't we in 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 rape cases adult yeah. rape cases um you know where we're starting to move away from the victim blaming mm. um narratives but you know we need to hear those same messages in this it's mm. like it's not it's not up to me to protect children from no. the people who abuse me it's up to them to stop, stop. abusing children exactly. <laughs> do you know what I mean and so that's such an expense it's such a high personal cost you know to, that people go through to try and protect people yeah exactly even when if they're not going to get any sort of justice themselves absolutely yeah it's very hard I don't have answers no I don't don't think there is an easy answer to that one but I think like what you said a a while ago is that like this is why stuff like this is so important because there there are other things there have to be other support mechanisms don't there there have to be other ways of managing I guess like in some ways, the inevitable fallout of experiences of childhood sexual abuse. Like, there have to be other ways that we can express ourselves, and particularly when those memories are non-verbal, as you say, or, you know, or, like, I I mean, a lot of my stuff is, like, in my body, so if Mm. I get stressed, it's, like, here, it's, like, right in the middle of my stomach. And very often, my head feels very separate from the rest of my body, you know? Mm. And so I've done quite a lot of, talking therapies you know what we would call psychodynamic talking therapies um and cognitive behavioral therapies um some of those worked great some of them really didn't um but the things that help me most now are you know running walking mm. really stupid things like just dancing around in the middle of the day just that. like moving Embodied my practices. body you know yeah yeah so that journey back into the body yeah absolutely yeah that's my yeah. That's what works for me as well. I just I just need to move. I just feel I yeah. just get to a point in my day where I'm, I just I just feel like my whole body is so tense, and I, and I think in some ways like anybody gets that don't they with stress like it's just a, it's a stress reaction like when you're stressed you feel the tension in your body, but um but for me like just moving around and like put I put like a little Spotify playlist on like I make a little cup of tea and just start wiggling around and dancing in the kitchen, and you just think like. The things that have worked for me much better, like after I did those talking therapies, was the dance therapy and things yeah. like, you know, I, I mean, I, I love the Reiki. That was just really fun uh-huh. and weird because I couldn't oh, I don't figure like out. Reiki. <laughs> I don't enough. like that thing of having hands hovering near my body. Yeah, that doesn't work fair. for me at all. I like, yeah, yeah. where that's are fair. they? I don't like it. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> all. I do like <laughs> massage and bodywork. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Shiatsu is great because, oh, yeah. as well, yeah, yeah I found Shiatsu really useful like early on. Because you're it, you're in your clothes. Yeah. That's yes. Good. Exactly. Yeah. And I should say the re- the reiki that I had was like with a friend who was trained uh, yeah. and that and that yeah I completely trusted her. So I think yeah. I think it's weird, isn't it? Because I think we we all just maybe need different things at different I think we times. We need different things. Talking therapies have been really brilliant for me. Mm. I still have therapy regularly. For a long time, I mm. thought that the aim of having therapy was to stop having therapy at some mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. And then I've gone what the fuck, like, (laughs) I went for all of that time without support Mm. with these incredibly traumatic experiences, Yeah. why would I ever want to live without support now? So I'm just like, you know, and obviously I'm in a privileged position in that I can pay for that through my work because my therapy supports my work and, you know, all of that. So, um, because it's just not accessible 
yeah, it's not. to people, and you know, a lot of um, a lot of services are still quite short term, aren't they? And you know, which is another really good reason to build that sort of, that community. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, the embodied stuff has been really important. Yeah. Of like my brain because of amnesia and dissociation, derealization, and all of those experiences that go with complex trauma. Mm. Uh, my brain has very few memories but my body remembers a lot yeah and so that sort of journey back into my body has been has given me a lot of answers yeah and I think you said something ages ago right at the beginning of the conversation about um about that sort of fragmentation of memories and how it can make us doubt ourselves and Mm. you know but then I've found the more embodied I've become Mm. the less doubt I have yeah it's just think why the fuck would you make it up yeah why the fuck would you think you'd been abused if yeah. you hadn't been abused because nobody wants to feel no. like this no I know you know it's like <laughs> that's why I mean when you get like <laughs> false allegations narrative in the media you're like why would anybody make that up do you yeah. know what I mean it's just honestly again it's just another way of undermining something that actually mm-hmm. you know actually has a massive you know a massive social impact if we can come together as a community mm. you know 11 million people mm. with empowered voices yeah that's you know then we're talking systems change yeah that's really exciting to me that's a very tantalizing prospect yeah of you know that's what my all of my work is about it's yeah. about holding that vision that at some point maybe not even in my lifetime, but at some point there will be 11 million plus, and that's just in the UK, you know, globally, we're talking millions and millions and millions of people who could make massive systems change. Yeah. And that is exciting. That is very exciting. Yeah. And the things that are stopping that are the shame, the hushed voices, the Mm -hmm. silence, the victim blaming, all of those things. Mm. That's what's stopping it. Mm -hmm. And that's what allows abuse to carry on. Yeah. Not, not whether we report our abusers. No. That's not what's keeping abuse carrying on. No. What's keeping abuse carrying on is the fact that we're all kept quiet and yeah. separate. Exactly. So. Exactly. Yeah. So if we all come together, they won't be able to stop us. No, and I really feel it. Like, I feel... So I, you know, I know through my work, there are pockets of activism, yeah. research, art different sorts of activism, survivor activism, all over the UK. Yeah. And at the moment, because everyone's so under-resourced, that's all, you know, there's short-term projects, there's um, little group, you know, communities of maybe 100 people around some particularly sort of um, motivated mm-hmm. survivor activist leaders yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And, um, you know, there'll be, there are all these pockets of people and actually what we need is resource to bring us all together. Yeah. Because then it's all word of mouth, it's all one conversation at a time. Yeah. But the more we can come together and build that network, mm. then, you know, at some point it hits that critical mass. Yeah, exactly. That's what we, that's what we need. It's that's critical it. mass, isn't it? All change, all social change throughout history has happened by marginalised communities coming together, yeah. representing their interests. No one's going to do it for us. Yeah. We have to do it for ourselves. We've got to find each other or speak up. We've got to support each other to use our voices and be heard. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think we're that far away. I don't think we're that far away. Honestly, I feel like there's just that 
momentum. I feel like there's mm. momentum gathering at the moment. Yeah. And maybe like I I feel like particularly with survivors like in the creative arts, there's there are there are more um, more people popping up all over the place mm. doing things like you know. Um, there's a project in London called Shame. Uh, um, well, we, we were talking a bit before about how you know some of the work that they do, you know, but like poetry, mm. um, you know, dance, um, your theatre shows, you know. And I think really it's about like bringing together, like, it's, as you said, like, it's like leaders across different fields, mm. you know. So we all come together in like our own area of expertise and we're like, right, I can bring all these skills to the table and I can also bring this lived experience and together we are going to, you know, just end it all. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like that momentum is really building. And I, I think I, it is as well. I have been accused in the past of being overly optimistic, but I think... I, I think we need to be optimistic, don't we? And, you know, realistic and optimistic. I think the most important thing as well is really looking at how we support those people who are leading, leading the change at the moment because... Yeah it's not easy there's a, there's a personal cost isn't there and yes. you know in any activism there's a massive risk of burnout and so it's that thing isn't it of how, making sure that any projects have really built in um you know emotional well-being for those people yeah. and good support for those people Absolutely. who are who are taking those steps to speak out and be visible yeah and Absolutely. Um, yeah and then at some point it gets easier yeah exactly Fuck the system. <laughs> Take it down. Yeah. I love um, Akima Thomas. Do you know the Women and Girls Network in London? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her talk about revolutionary love. That's what she talks about all the time. She'll sh- she shouts it. Revolutionary love! Every time she does a talk. And she talks about courage a lot. And the courage is um, caught like... Core in French is the heart, isn't it? Yeah. And so I don't know if this is where the word comes from, but we I've talked to her about it. We talk think about it as like heart rage. Mm. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah, because it is a kind of it's like a it's like an anger, but it's like a loving anger. It's like a, I want to do this to like make sure that people who've experienced this never have to do never have to go through that ever again but also to know that they're not on their own and there are loads of us out there who have that kind of heart rage with we're there and we can support one another at different times and in different ways um I love that I think the thing yeah that's the thing isn't it is that abuse is incredibly harmful and damaging and traumatic Mm. living as a survivor is almost worse yeah because it's that keeping is the cognitive dissonance of trying to be normal in a world yeah. that isn't fucking normal, where you know that people behave yeah. in the most hideous, atrocious ways mm-hmm. and just get away with it. Yeah. You know, that is a very difficult, untenable yeah. position to live in. Yeah. And so actually, I feel like the mental health impacts, the the life-limiting impacts, not Mm. just mental health, physical health, Mm. all the life-limiting impacts of being a survivor Mm. come as much from the silence as they do from the the abuse itself. Yeah. And so hopefully at some point we can bloody stop abuse. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) But the way that we do that first is to to come out of of the silence as a community and to, to, 
you know, we don't have to live like that anymore. Yeah. We don't have to live like that anymore, keeping secrets. No, we don't. Protecting people. We don't have to keep the secrets and we're not responsible for making sure that people stop. Like, it isn't our job to make people accountable. Do you know what I mean? Like, it isn't our job. But I think, yeah, that... The idea of, like, learn, like we've talked before, haven't we, about the idea of, sort of like, learning to live with it, mm. you know? And I, th- I think what you just said there, like, really struck a chord with me around, like, the idea of therapy is to stop. It, you know, I, I'm i of the similar view. You know, every five years I'll go back into mm. into into doing maybe a different kind of therapy, a different mm. time for me. and And it's so much more to do with just... Like learning to live with it. It isn't about recovery. Like we've, like I mean, we've had such yeah. good rants about the word recovery, haven't oh. we? But like, it isn't about recovery. It's just about learning to live with it. Like all of the stuff that you just mentioned. It's yeah. about learning to live with the mental health, the physical health, the like, just general shitness of it all. Feeling exhausted and then having the world come at you all the time. You know, it takes energy. And I always feel very like conscious of. Of I guess like who I who I say oh I'm a survivor too or or I have lived experience too because I always realise that like every action has a kind of reaction doesn't mm. it you know and and I always feel like people whenever I say it people always look at you like they're either like oh my god it's amazing the work that you do or they re- they sort of look at you like oh do I need to do something you know mm. and I'm like no I don't need you to do something like I'm fine like I have yeah. around me now I'm so lucky I have so many supportive friends and mm. you know and and. That's not luck, Emma. I don't know. It's not luck, is it? I think the more we live in our own truth, the more we're able to connect with other people, aren't we? Yeah. And the more we're having to manage and hide parts of ourselves, the harder it is to connect with other people. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, you've done that that work, haven't you? And I was just thinking about that sort of community representation thing and... I mean, I don't know her. I follow her on Twitter. There's a woman called Emma Jane Taylor, mm-hmm. survivor, mm-hmm. who has um, is doing a radio show oh. about child sex abuse on, mm-hmm. oh, God, I can't remember the name of the station. It's not a mainstream radio station. And it's like, I saw that on Twitter, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm fucking good on her. And, yeah. I, you know, she seems brilliant from her posts and things and need to reach out and connect. And But, for fuck's sake, what other marginalised community has one programme? What, you know, where else is that news that there's one radio programme yeah. on a non-mainstream radio? Yeah. You know, sorry? Yeah. <laughs> That's where it's at. Yeah. And I just think, why aren't, you know, why aren't the BBC taking that seriously? Why aren't we being taken seriously? Yeah. What is it that people aren't getting yep. and how can we make them understand it? Yeah. That's what I want to know. That's yeah. my that's the big question sort of is like, why aren't cultural you know, why am I turning on the telly and listening to people like fucking David Mitchell make jokes on <laughs> primetime TV about grooming and incest? Yeah. Why is that allowed? We don't we yeah. we don't hear jokes about rape on, on primetime TV. No. We don't, thank God, hear homophobic jokes on primetime tv we don't hear racist jokes on primetime tv anymore yeah why are we hearing those jokes those jokes are about child rape yeah i know they're not funny it's not fucking funny stop it and you just think it's not that it's a sacred cow because there are people you know sometimes um what's his name frankie boyle oh yeah yeah very clever man you know and he sometimes 
makes jokes that are about paedophilia and they are punching Mm -hmm. up, you know, not punching down at survivors and making us feel like our experiences are trivial. They're punching up and pointing out Mm -hmm. what's wrong with the system. Do you know what I mean? And why are intelligent people like David Mitchell making those jokes? What is it that they're not understanding and how do we make them understand? I know. Because that's the messaging that people are getting. That's the messaging that someone sitting at home who's never been able to speak about their experiences, who's never been able to tell anybody, they're sitting at home, they're watching that and what they're getting from that is I don't matter, I'm irrelevant. Exactly. And that is, yeah, that's my mission is like how do we make the world understand that this is a... That this is a thing yeah. that needs proper attention, just like any other yeah. social justice issue needs proper attention. Exactly. So do we. And I think the thing, like, of, of all of the social justice issues that, like, quite rightly have their place in social narrative, the one thing about childhood sexual abuse that you can get right is that if you stop it, a child has their whole life to live without abuse yeah and if you get in quick and if you get in early and if you provide the right support it's completely possible to not go through all of this shit you know Mm. do you know what I mean Mm. so in normalizing it by having jokes and you know actually it's one of the things that's really 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 missing in the research because it's so hard to get a grip on it's so hard to measure the impact you know of like these kind of subconscious sort of underground kind of cues and sort of like really quiet com- like conversations the way that that impacts on you because it's just completely normalized yeah it's well, normal in the same way that there's institutionalized racism yeah all, you know it's institutionalized it's yep. systemic and everyone is propping it up if yep. they're not doing things to change it yep. they're propping it up yeah even if they're not directly abusing anyone, even if they're not on primetime TV making jokes about it, they're propping it up. And that's what we need to... You know, it's it's the microaggressions that we live with as a community on a day-to-day basis that are shutting us down, that are isolating us further, that are keeping us from making change, that are keeping us from finding each other. It's those things that we need to find ways to articulate better and need to get the world to understand and need to get people who haven't been through that terrible experience that we've experienced to ally with us to to make that change. And so I don't know how we do it, Mm -hmm. but I'm bloody well going to keep on trying. (laughs) I think you're on the right track with your shows. Oh, <laughs> <yes>. yeah. <laughs> but, it, but I think it, you're right, that, and that that is so strong as well. The the idea of of a community of survivors and their allies. Yeah. You know, getting people on board with the topic. You know, definitely. And we need allies so much because lots of survivors won't ever disclose, and yeah. so there needs to be ways of being part of the community without self-identifying as well. Yep. Because it's exactly. still so scary. So yeah. that's why it's really important if you aren't a survivor to ally with our community because you yeah. create safe spaces for people who can't disclose yeah. to be part of the community. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why I think that's why I'm always really conscious of, of sort of going around saying, Well, you know, I'm a survivor researcher. Because I know that there will be people in my research community who do have lived experience and who just don't feel ready to talk about it or don't want to talk about it in a professional environment Mm. but want to just be passionate and committed to the topic and that's okay like you don't have to go around like you know telling your story over and over and saying that I mean 
for those of us that do like it's been a, it's been a really helpful step for me to be able mm. to say I'm a survivor I'm a researcher because I love to mentor other survivors who are passionate about research to get them where they want to be so that when so that as a research community we're not just asking people for their views and then those survivors not really getting a great deal in return so I know that survivors love to take part in research because they love to talk and they want to share their experiences and they feel like it's great to have that kind of confidential space so taking part in research like really has a power of its own um, if you are a survivor but also you know there's different levels aren't there so there's sort of like the informing part then there's the co-production and then there's the like survivor-led approach you mm. know but uh, but I always feel really mindful that you know every action has a reaction and and if you are a survivor who just isn't ready to talk about it or can't you know because yeah. for some survivors it just is never safe to or, to do or it people don't remember I didn't remember yeah. till I was 29 so we yeah. know that there's lots of people who know maybe they don't feel right in some way they know yeah. something's up yeah they don't know what it is yeah that was me until I was 29 so yeah. we, you know it's that yeah, it's about encompassing all of that, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Just making everybody feel supported. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it's been important for me speaking out too, but actually I've done that as a political act. I haven't done that yeah. because I want to do that necessarily. Yeah. It's not that I don't want to do it. No. But I do it as a political act because yeah. I can't see any other way to make change no. other than to sort of put my head above the parapet. Yeah. And so is not my primary identity no. as a human being yeah. but in my work it's my primary identity yeah. because it has to be yeah. because otherwise how do yeah. we get the message across yeah yeah exactly mm. and it, and it is it's a joy but it's it's also a weight to carry isn't it you know yeah. because you yeah it's it's inspiring and it's great and you know to channel all of your passion into into all of the things that you do and all of the things that I do but then also it, like it does take its toll after a time you know and I think that's why why these types of conversations and like building relationships is so important because I think we we need to like support one another in that work um so that it doesn't become like onerous and so the burden doesn't grow too great because it like it is hard it's, mm. you know it is hard isn't it like, it's, it's hard I have a lot of support yeah to do to do my work I've got a nice um I'm gonna put my shoes on in a minute and go home yes <laughs> I got cinema tickets please uh, uh, do not miss your uh, show uh, <laughs> I've got a nice from a from my restless project the the one that coast path walking yeah. project which is all about using coastal landscapes to talk about survivor journeys and the main um the main sort of metaphor that runs through the project is the idea of the restless sea as a yeah. as a metaphor for activism yeah. in that it just keeps going. It's this continuous collective action. But then if you look at the sea, mm. sometimes the waves are really small and tiny yeah. and quiet. Sometimes the sea is really quiet and mm. restful and sometimes it's raging and wild. And that's how I sort of think about my activism is that Sometimes it's big and out there and raging and wild, and sometimes it's very quiet. And that it's as much part rest is as much part of my activism yeah. as the speaking out, as the doing the shows, as the yeah. swearing lots on podcasts and, <laughs> and ranting about fucking the patriarchy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, take totally. them down. <laughs> you know, but 
but rest and retreat and, and that restorative stuff is as important as anything else. Absolutely. And the whole point of surviving is to do what the fuck we like and find joy yeah. and laughter and all of that as well yeah. as everything else. So yeah, it's about being full spectrum people, isn't it? Just about being a human being, isn't Just it? Just human being, yeah. 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 I hope you've enjoyed this first episode with the amazing Viv Gordon. Viv and I talked a bit about our experiences of using mental health services, but we both recognise that we're in a really privileged position because we can access paid-for services through our work. But we know that most people can't afford these services and there are a lot of barriers in the way to free specialist support. Survivors shouldn't have to pay for essential care services and we talk about these issues in our next episode. For now, Viv ends with a reading of a poem she wrote that I think really gets to the heart of our conversation by reflecting what it is we need from our mental health services and the importance of a community-based response. So thanks very much for listening and I hope that you can join us again soon. Six verses. I get six sessions to answer a lifetime spent floating outside myself trying to come in. I have six reasons to stay in this body but I cannot remember them, not even one. It takes six minutes to tick all her boxes, how food is a nonsense and still I can't sleep. I have six hours with the woman, her training, her offerings of labels and drugs I don't want. It takes six seconds to absorb her word, stuck and to watch myself drowning engulfed in its wake. I have six words to spit back at the woman. Evidence and outcomes and fuck you, you asshole. I have six months, which I don't think I'll last through. I'm staring at nothing and brick walls and nooses. I have six women who hold my heart gently who tell me I matter until I believe them. I have six songs now I sing to the women. They all start with hope and they all end with change.